0: One warm summer evening, a group of white supremacists assembled for a rally. These were the members of the nefarious clan of the Fiery Cross, and they had murder on their minds.
1: The Klansmen held two hostages, a pair of white allies who'd opposed the hate group's work. Now, the secret society wanted to teach the social justice advocates a fatal lesson.
0: But just before the hooded terrorists could lay a finger on their captives, a newcomer burst onto the scene. He wore a blue, skin-tight bodysuit, bright red boots, and cape. Emblazoned on his chest was a sigil, a stylized letter S. It was Superman.
1: With a few punches, the Man of Steel broke up the Klan rally. He sent the racists running in fear and ensured the captive's safety before soaring on. Once again, the hero had won the day.
0: Of course, that scene was a work of fiction, a sequence from the 1946 radio show The Adventures of Superman. But the creative team behind the program hoped they'd change the world for the better. Just as Superman defeated the Klan in the show, they planned to strike a blow against organized hate in real life.
1: Until the 16 episode arc finished airing, though, it was impossible to say if their broadcast would actually make a difference. Perhaps their bold story would be entertaining
0: without changing any hearts or minds. Or it would put a target on the writers' backs once they angered the real clan. You can find episodes of Conspiracy Theories and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify.
1: This is our second and final episode on Superman and the Ku Klux Klan. A true story featuring two real documented conspiracies. In one, the KKK infiltrated law enforcement agencies in order to commit hate crimes without legal oversight. In the other, civil rights activists and a media team collaborated to attack
0: the Klan over the airwaves. Last time, we explored the life of Stetson Kennedy, a civil rights activist who believed he could disempower hate groups by exposing their secrets to the world. We also met Bob Maxwell, a producer on the Adventures of Superman radio show. He and Kennedy crafted a tale of the Man of Steel fighting Klansmen. Today,
1: we'll analyze their 16-episode arc called The Clan of the Fiery Cross. We'll examine the fallout of the broadcast and try to determine which conspiracy was successful in the real-world conflict between Superman and the Ku Klux Klan. And then, we'll explore a third unverified conspiracy theory, that everything we think we know about this narrative was completely invented by a self-promoting journalist.
0: We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us.
1: This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. Bottling everything up can be really bad for you in the long run and have some terrible consequences. And this isn't a conspiracy theory. The more you let things build up, the more of a toll it can take on your mental health. I know for me, in dealing with some traumatic events in my life, I had the tendency to think, well, they've already happened, I'm okay, other people have it worse, it doesn't matter much, and through therapy was really able to understand how those events impacted me and changed how I'd started to see the world in ways that weren't great and were sometimes making my life worse. So therapy or dealing with any traumatic events you've had might really help you in terms of how you can live in the present moment now. So if you want to give therapy a try, check out BetterHelp. It's entirely online, convenient, and flexible. It's also really easy to get started. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com conspiracy today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot conspiracy. New season out on Spotify soon. If you're interested in crazy stories from the wild world of organized crime, scams, gangs, cartels, mafias, drug dealers, and everything fun like that, have we got a podcast for you. The Underworld podcast is hosted by two conflict journalists, Danny Gold and Sean Williams, who have reported on all sorts of dangerous people in dangerous places. Every week, they bring you a new episode on international organized crime from a new corner of the globe. You can find the Underworld podcast on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. In the 1940s, progressive journalist Stetson Kennedy reportedly quit his job to infiltrate the Ku Klux Klan. According to his memoir, The Klan Unmasked, he soon discovered the KKK was involved in a real-world conspiracy. They'd infiltrated police forces, state governments, and other public institutions
0: to ensure
1: they'd be treated like they were above the law.
0: He saw evidence of this everywhere. In the traffic cop who looked the other way when a car full of Klansmen picked him up in broad daylight. In the squad car that sped past him after the hate group incited a vehicular collision. And in the various KKK members who Kennedy knew were law enforcement officers by day.
1: So, Kennedy created a counter-conspiracy. Believing the only way to stop them was to make them look ridiculous. He connected with the creative team on The Adventures of Superman. Specifically, the
0: radio show's producer, Bob Maxwell. Together, Maxwell and Kennedy developed a 16-episode arc as a part of Operation Intolerance, an effort to incorporate more socially conscious messages into their programming. Over the course of about three weeks of episodes, Superman battled a thinly veiled KKK stand-in called The Clan of the Fiery Cross. The fictional story incorporated real-world details about the Ku Klux Klan courtesy of Kennedy's intelligence. You can
1: listen to the full run online, and we highly recommend you do. In the meanwhile, we're going to recap the broad strokes of the story, which opened on a quiet taxicab conversation between Clark Kent and his companion, Jimmy
0: Olsen. Jimmy is the manager of a local Little League team, and his star pitcher used to be a boy named Chuck Riggs, Recently, a new family moved to Metropolis. Their son, Tommy Lee, is an excellent pitcher who has superseded Chuck as a starter.
1: The brewing tensions between Tommy and Chuck go deeper than just baseball, though. Chuck's Uncle Matt is a member of the evil clan of the Fiery Cross. So when Chuck tells Uncle Matt about losing his starting position and about Tommy hitting him with a tight fastball during batting practice... Uncle Matt uses his position to retaliate. Soon, he leaves a
0: burning cross in the Lee family's front yard. Seeing his players in conflict, Jimmy seeks advice from a trusted adult, Clark Kent, and Clark immediately recognizes the Lee's surname, presumably because he's a reporter with an ear to the ground. He's heard Tommy's father has been dealing with harassment from the Klan, just like Tommy is now. Clark decides he has
1: to do something, and he's well-positioned to take action. Little does Jimmy know, Clark Kent is secretly Superman.
0: The Man of Steel protects the Lee family, even as the clan attempts to injure or intimidate them. The hate group detonates a bomb on Tommy's bike. They try to tar and feather him. Then, when Jimmy and Daily Planet editor Perry White publicly stand up for the Lees, the society abducts them and decides to kill them.
1: Each of these plots is foiled, often by Superman. As the tide turns against the hate group, other clan members betray Uncle Matt, rejecting their previous values of intolerance and violence. Ultimately, The group is defeated in a final showdown between Superman and a few remaining members, including Uncle Matt. The message is clear. White supremacy and bigotry are pointless. There's no
0: good reason to support hate, even for those who have sworn a silly oath to it. Many episodes in the series include at least one scene where the narrative grinds to a halt so a character can point out hate groups are immoral, irrational, and un-American. The messages are didactic, but that was intentional, because from the beginning, Maxwell's team knew their messages had to be clear so young children would understand them. There could be no doubt where the creative team stood.
1: These speeches promoting diversity and condemning bigotry didn't all come from one character. The hero, Clark Kent, delivered many of them, but the sentiments were also expressed by Kent's allies, like Perry White and Jimmy Olsen, and by characters you wouldn't expect, like Chuck Riggs and his mom.
0: Yes, Chuck Riggs, the boy who kicked off the conflict. As the series progresses, Chuck comes to realize intolerance and bigotry are wrong, while acceptance and equality are right. He ultimately turns on his uncle and collaborates with Superman to take down the Klan.
1: Perhaps this was supposed to show tolerance and diversity were universal values, something all kind and decent people believed in, even those who weren't always as good and upstanding as they'd like. Maybe the adventures of Superman writers hoped to normalize social justice even as they mocked and undermined the bigoted views of the fictional clan of the Fiery Cross.
0: Even the head of the clan poked holes in white supremacist philosophy during a speech to Uncle Matt. He described clan members saying, quote, "...they're saps who believe drivel, such as a man is a dangerous enemy because he goes to a different church." The little nobodies who want to believe some other race is inferior so they can feel superior. The jerks who go for that 100% American rot. You must know there's no such thing as what we call 100% American.
1: The leader went on to call fiery cross values like racial purity and intolerance hokum. In reality, the organization existed solely to enrich its founders and bosses. The Klan was a money-making scheme all along.
0: This fit with what Stetson Kennedy reportedly discovered during his time undercover with the real Klan. As we discussed last time, the KKK of the 1940s preyed on and weaponized bigotry, but was also structured like a pyramid scheme, a club that nickel and dime new recruits and members to enrich those at the top. By revealing that truth in The Adventures of Superman, Maxwell's team embarrassed real clansmen by suggesting they were all suckers and chomps.
1: And it was unlikely anyone would fail to connect the fictional clan of the Fiery Cross to the real KKK. Besides the similarity in their names, the show included secret hand signals, mottos, and references to their leader's silly titles in episodes— Reportedly, all thanks to Kennedy's whistleblowing.
0: But as the series aired, a few questions remained. Would listeners be persuaded? And would Kennedy and Maxwell's conspiracy to delegitimize the Klan work? Or embolden a hate group that had already shown it wasn't afraid to kill?
1: Coming up, the public responses to the radio show.
0: Hi listeners, it's Vanessa from the Spotify original from Parcast, Cults. Next on our series, a four-part deep dive into the religious movement known as the Moonies. Sushi, mass weddings political coups. Discover the many business ventures, beliefs and scandals of this headline making sect. This is one special you do not want to miss. You can also catch up on hundreds of classic episodes and new ones each week by following Cults free on Spotify. Find out what turns a natural born leader into a vessel for wreaking havoc. Enjoy a new episode of Cults every Tuesday, free and only on Spotify.
1: And now, back to the story.
0: From June 10th to July 1st, 1946, Superman battled the fictional clan of the Fiery Cross over American airwaves. Meanwhile, the minds behind the series, Stetson Kennedy and Bob Maxwell, waited to see if the narrative would strike a blow against the real clan.
1: According to Kennedy's book, the day after the first Fiery Cross episode... The group had a meeting. Kennedy was still embedded with a local KKK chapter in Atlanta, Georgia, under the pseudonym John Perkins. And when he showed up, he noted every single attendee was visibly agitated. It seemed they all had listened to the broadcast or heard about it afterward.
0: One Klan member noted he'd seen children play acting roles from the radio show, Some wore pillowcases over their heads, mimicking Klansmen. Another tied a pillowcase around his neck, like Superman's cape. And the Superman kid chased the faux Klansmen around.
1: The Klansmen said he was humiliated by the children's game. Even worse, he thought it was a major security issue that Superman fans now knew their chapter's secret passwords. Anti-racist advocates or police officers could easily infiltrate their gatherings now that the information
0: was public. Kennedy claimed they changed their code during this meeting. Then, he immediately called the Superman writers and had the new phrase worked into an upcoming episode. After this, the Klan pushed
1: back against the broadcast in a more aggressive way. As the creatives had feared... A New Jersey chapter reportedly sent death threats to Bob Maxwell and his team. The Atlanta group filed complaints with the broadcasters, and rumors suggested they considered a boycott of Kellogg's, the main sponsor for The Adventures of Superman.
0: Ultimately, though, the clan's threats were empty. The boycott never took off, if the group even attempted it. Furthermore... When the society attempted to organize protests, few showed up.
1: Among Man of Steel fans, the Clan of the Fire Cross episodes were a massive success. By and large, critics raved about the storyline. Listeners kept tuning in. Over the course of Operation Intolerance, the Adventures of Superman leapt from fourth place to number one in the children's program category of the Hooper Ratings a precursor to today's Nielsen ratings.
0: More importantly, the politics of the narrative worked exactly how Kennedy and Maxwell had hoped. Nearly overnight, the Klan's reputation changed. They went from a secret organization some Americans saw as cool and mysterious to a laughingstock.
1: Their recruitment efforts slowed almost to a standstill and they lost members faster than they could bring in replacements. Over time, people even began attending Klan rallies not to support the group, but to mock the participants.
0: Suddenly, politicians who might have once supported the KKK realized they'd have to denounce the hate group or lose voter support. Rick Bauer's Superman vs. the Ku Klux Klan explained how, in the Klan's stronghold of Florida, the governor publicly condemned demonstrators from the hate group. Even small community organizations like Chamber of Commerce chapters and church groups joined in the derision. By 1949, three years after the Superman broadcast, a Grand Dragon complained in an interview, quote, So many people are prejudiced against the clan these days.
1: Operation Intolerance was victorious. But Superman didn't single-handedly defeat the Klan— the radio program was just one tactic social justice warriors adopted to
0: stand up to organized hate. Besides producing the Clan of the Fiery Cross episodes, local advocates passed laws making it illegal for protesters to cover their faces, which meant Klansmen couldn't preserve their anonymity at public gatherings.
1: And Kennedy kept fighting to expose the bigots' misdeeds, As we mentioned before, he was still reportedly undercover with the Klan when the Superman program debuted. But he couldn't stay embedded forever. At some point, he'd have to reveal himself.
0: That time came thanks to another hate group called the Colombians. The Colombians were neo Nazis who pushed their own message of white supremacy. And at some point in 1946, Kennedy was able to use his sources to obtain information about the organization's inner workings. In 1947,
1: Georgia prosecutors brought charges against the Columbians, basing part of their case on Kennedy's information. As described in his memoir, the day he was supposed to testify, Kennedy walked into a courtroom that was packed with Klansmen.
0: They all knew him as John Perkins, the pseudonym he'd used during his time undercover. And they greeted him with joy, thinking he was there to show his support for the accused bigots. A few even performed their secret handshakes with Kennedy, right there in front of the judge.
1: Once the hearing began, a clerk announced a list of witnesses set to testify. As he called each name, the person confirmed they were in attendance.
0: Then, the clerk reached Stetson Kennedy.
1: A murmur swept through the courtroom. Everyone knew Kennedy was a civil rights activist who'd exposed Klan secrets in the papers, but no one knew what he looked like. Many Klansmen were shocked to realize their mysterious enemy was right there in the room with them.
0: And that's when Kennedy stood and spoke softly. Here.
1: The court flew into an uproar. The Klansmen who'd once seen Kennedy as a friend and ally shouted threats and tried to charge the witness.
0: Kennedy looked to the courtroom police for help and they intervened, reluctantly. Even there, with hate on trial, many authorities still seemingly sympathized with the KKK.
1: Kennedy's cover was blown and his time with the Klan was over, but he'd accomplished plenty. Besides contributing to the adventures of Superman, his testimony helped secure a conviction against the leaders of the Colombians. And he advocated for the House
0: Un-American Activities Committee to investigate the KKK. The committee was supposed to examine any individuals or groups who were deemed disloyal to the United States. In practice, this meant they often prosecuted communists and suspected communists throughout the Red Scare. The
1: Klan had nothing to do with Marxism, but Kennedy still believed they were unpatriotic and treasonous. So, he reportedly wrote several
0: letters to the committee, all of which went ignored. Kennedy realized if he wanted the government officials to take his complaints seriously, he'd have to get their attention.
1: He still had the robes he'd bought when he first infiltrated the KKK. So, according to the Klan Unmasked, Kennedy dressed in full attire before visiting Capitol Hill. When he arrived at the House Un-American Activities office, he approached the reception desk.
0: The clerk refused to make eye contact. He was clearly uncomfortable having what appeared to be a Klansman in the office.
1: Nevertheless... Kennedy stood in front of him until the receptionist looked him in the face. Then he said, Months ago, I wrote this committee offering to give it evidence of the un-American activities of the Ku Klux Klan. Since I can't seem
0: to get a written reply, I've come for an oral one. The employee offered to find someone to hear Kennedy out and disappeared into a back room. Kennedy took a seat in the waiting area.
1: As the minutes passed by, a small crowd gathered near reception. Clearly, word had gotten out there was a uniformed Klansman in the federal building, and this was notable enough to attract spectators. Yet nobody intervened to ask Kennedy to leave. Even once the Capitol Police arrived, everyone sat quietly and watched him.
0: Finally, after about 15 minutes the officers escorted Kennedy out of the room. When he mentioned a Klan code word to them, they responded with confusion. They weren't affiliated with the hate group.
1: Perhaps this reassured Kennedy because later during questioning, he explained everything. The police seemed grateful to learn the activist wasn't really a member of the hate group and they
0: let him go. But by this point, his long wait on Capitol Hill and his brief apprehension had drawn some attention. The press were waiting outside the building, and they wanted a statement from Kennedy. The coverage
1: in the papers and a follow up visit, this time in street clothes, finally got Kennedy an answer. He sat down with an official on the House Un American Activities Committee and was told the following They had no intention of investigating the Klan.
0: And sadly, this refusal to take any formal action meant the secret society could continue to operate. They were weaker than they'd been before the Clan of the Fiery Cross aired, but they were still active.
1: The Klan recovered some of their influence in 1948. Testifying in front of the Senate Armed Forces Committee, Dwight D. Eisenhower publicly announced his support of military segregation. He claimed he wasn't motivated by bigotry, but out of supposedly benevolent concerns that people of color wouldn't be able to keep up with white citizens.
0: In a statement to the Senate committee, he said, quote, "...in general, the black man is less well-educated than his brother's citizen who is white." And if you make a complete amalgamation, what you are going to have is, in every company, the black man is going to be relegated to the minor jobs, and he is never going to get his promotion.
1: Of course, Eisenhower's pro-segregation stance would only perpetuate the inequalities he claimed he was so concerned about.
0: And this type of thinking revealed a discouraging truth. Though mass media and other strategies could deal an effective blow against organized hate groups, it would take so much more than a few episodes of Superman to win the war against bigotry. And even the most powerful anti-racist narratives had the potential to unravel.
1: Coming up, the ways Superman changed social activism. Now back to the story.
0: In June 1946, the Adventures of Superman radio show aired a 16-part arc on the fictional Clan of the Fiery Cross. The narrative drew on real information about the KKK's inner workings, and because the show embarrassed the hate group, their recruiting efforts slowed. Many people worked together to disempower the organization.
1: Producer Bob Maxwell, the marketers at Kellogg's, And, of course, Stetson Kennedy, who'd bravely put his life on the line by infiltrating the Klan. That is, assuming you believe his account of how this all
0: happened, and some don't. Economist Stephen Levitt and journalist Stephen J. Dubner explored Kennedy's story in their 2005 book, Freakonomics. Most of their information came directly from their interviews with Kennedy or from his memoir, The Klan Unmasked. Only after Freakonomics hit the stands, though, did they learn that there was more to the story.
1: This is the crux of our lone, unverified conspiracy theory. Stetson Kennedy lied about everything we know about his infiltration of the KKK. See, throughout his career as a civil rights activist, Kennedy kept thorough records of all of his interviews, including every event he covered and each meeting he scheduled. Yet when historians compared Kennedy's notes to the narrative that appeared in the Klan unmasked, discrepancies appeared.
0: In some cases, Klan members made public statements, but Kennedy later wrote the quotes into what he claimed were private conversations. Other times, he booked interviews in which he used his real name and freely admitted he was a journalist. Yet, in his memoir, he acted like the discussions took place while he was undercover as John Perkins.
1: Most alarming of all, it seemed Kennedy took credit for another activist's work.
0: Around the time Kennedy reportedly infiltrated the Klan, another advocate was already embedded with the society, a man we only know by the name John Brown. Kennedy was in frequent contact with Brown during his time with the KKK. He even wrote a memo saying, quote, Brown is joining the Klan for me.
1: Kennedy's notes about his conversations with Brown featured many details that later made their way into Kennedy's memoir. Except in the book, Kennedy claimed these events happened to him. It seems when he wrote The Klan Unmasked, he told a somewhat true account of an undercover anti-KKK
0: spy, but he lied about who the spy was. And to round out the narrative, he may have invented or exaggerated other details, like his story about how the Klansmen were alarmed their passwords were being shared on the radio show.
1: Pop culture historian Michael J. Hay noted the Adventures of Superman broadcast didn't include any Klan secrets. Nearly every detail about their rituals, structure, and titles were already public knowledge when the episodes were written.
0: Plus, the radio show didn't include a single KKK password, current or otherwise, So the secret society members had no reason to change their code phrases when the episodes aired. The narrative Kennedy laid out in his memoir was impossible.
1: Kennedy may have exaggerated his alleged infiltration. Many of his anecdotes focused on how the authorities didn't do anything until he spurred them to. For example, in his book, He described a meeting he took with an FBI agent who'd never seen a Klan membership card before. He implied this was because the FBI hadn't bothered to thoroughly investigate the hate group. It seemed Kennedy was the only activist interested in exposing the KKK.
0: But in reality, the society's so-called secrets hadn't been secret for roughly two decades. Beginning in the early 1920s, journalists had exposed their practices in national papers. Meanwhile, a 1924 lawsuit between two high-ranking Klan leaders revealed more details.
1: And after yet another Klan leader was arrested and sentenced to prison in 1925, the hate group went on a downswing. Membership declined. Politicians won elections on anti-Klan platforms. Many progressive Americans openly disapproved of the hate group well before the Clan of the Fiery Cross broadcast.
0: Kennedy and the Superman creators didn't single-handedly slay Goliath. The Beast was already dying when they struck their blow.
1: That said, the
0: broadcast did
1: correlate with a downturn in clan recruitment efforts. Superman wasn't the only factor in the hate group's decline, but it still played a role.
0: And Kennedy did collaborate with Maxwell to craft the arc. There aren't many details on exactly how the story was broken, but it's certainly an interesting coincidence that Kennedy and fictional character Chuck Riggs both had uncles in the hate group. And both boys eventually grew to oppose organized hate. Perhaps Kennedy shared some personal biographical information with the writers, which then made its way into the series.
1: We also know he really did divulge details about the Klan's operation. It's just harder to say whether he gathered that intel himself undercover or if he stole it from John Brown and other investigators.
0: Kennedy certainly had the motive to lie about his involvement and the opportunity. The Klan unmasked brought him fame and fortune. And nobody could expose his potential deception, since nobody knew John Brown's identity except Brown himself, who couldn't speak up without blowing his cover. For all we know, he may not have still been alive at the time of the book's publication. This could have made the narrative appropriation the perfect crime.
1: That said, in his book, Kennedy mentioned several other civil rights activists who helped him infiltrate meetings, and they later confirmed he really did attend rallies undercover.
0: Additionally, his story about testifying against the Colombians was true. Under oath, he talked about infiltrating the hate group and collecting intel on its operations. Ultimately, we know Kennedy took real risks and did some undercover work. It's also undeniable he exaggerated certain details, and his notes strongly suggest he borrowed Brown's experiences for his book. I don't believe Kennedy lied about everything in his memoir, but it certainly appears he pulled the specifics of how he came across his information from other people. For me, this conspiracy theory is an 8 out of 10.
1: I'm inclined to agree with that score and your reasoning. Kennedy helped advance civil rights, sharing key information with Bob Maxwell. He played an important role in the fight against the Klan telling a meaningful story that resonated with so many Americans, even if it wasn't true. Unfortunately, Kennedy's dishonesty undermined his legacy and his reputation. Narratives don't always have to be accurate to have power. Superman is a work of fiction, after all. But when it comes to nonfiction, the truth matters. It shapes how we see the world. And if we misrepresent reality we end up with a less authentic and less nuanced perspective.
0: We may never know the truth of how involved Stetson Kennedy was with the Klan, but his memoir made for a great story.
1: Ultimately, that's what this account is about. Stories. Whether it's Kennedy exaggerating his role in the infiltration conspiracy or a team of writers making up adventures for Superman, everyone has a story.
0: And we know now narratives can be powerful enough to take down real-world hate groups. By the 1940s, the Ku Klux Klan had seen millions of members join its ranks over the years. It had raised abundant funds and had even gotten police officers on its side. But the group couldn't prevail against the changing tide of public opinion and a popular radio program. But
1: as we mentioned before, The broadcast didn't end the organization entirely. The Klan experienced a resurgence during the civil rights era. Throughout this period, hate groups, including the KKK, committed an estimated 138 bombings. The Klan also burnt down 30 black churches in Mississippi alone. In 1965, their ranks swelled back to around 40,000 members.
0: Finally, the FBI took a cue out of Stetson Kennedy's playbook. In the 1960s, they sent several agents undercover to learn the hate group's secrets and structure.
1: These operations have drawn some criticism. Given how many operatives the Bureau had within the Klan, they likely could have prevented several hate crimes. But it seems some agents preferred to maintain their cover rather than save lives
0: which is a disappointing continuation of the theme Stetson Kennedy observed during his own alleged operation. Officials were all too often reluctant to interfere with Klan operations, even when they were ostensibly trying to bring the hate group down. But finally,
1: the investigations, the exposés, and the federal probes bore fruit. In 1965, they arrested and sent to prison several Klan members. This scared many away from the organization and their numbers declined afterward.
0: Thankfully, the end of the 1960s coincided with another downturn in Klan activity. But even now, nearly 60 years later, the organization is still active and more hate groups are emerging every year.
1: Over 75 years have passed since the original broadcast of the Klan of the Fiery Cross. However... Many of the social issues Maxwell and Kennedy tackled persist to this day. Luckily, they gave us a framework we can use moving forward. Social justice advocates know how to publicly discuss organized hate and reclaim the narrative.
0: First and foremost, activists have to play the long game. The Superman creative team didn't try to change adults' thoughts and opinions. They shared their messages with children. One anonymous executive described their work as planting a thought egg into listeners' minds, and it might take years before the egg would hatch and grow into fully formed ideas about tolerance and anti-racism.
1: Second, the Superman series didn't only depict the Man of Steel saving the day. Ordinary people rose to the occasion. From editor Perry White standing up to Klan intimidation to Jimmy Olsen acting as an ally to Tommy Lee and his family to Chuck Riggs bravely defying his racist Uncle Matt, the series demonstrated anyone could be a hero in the face of injustice.
0: And that's the power of storytelling. It can inspire, educate, and promote a certain set of values. It's the core of what we do here on Conspiracy Theories, We pick narratives apart, determining which are true and which are worth believing in.
1: Like Maxwell and Kennedy, Molly and I strive to be honest on this show. Even when we're covering conspiracies that seem uh, less than credible, we look for what lessons we can take away from them. And our hope is that you, our listeners, carry those lessons into your own life.
0: This week's episodes have been a story of hope, but also a warning. In real life, We can't count on superheroes to rescue us. Superman doesn't exist. Neither does the version of Stetson Kennedy who appeared in his memoir. But anyone who's willing to take a stand can still save the world.
1: Thanks for tuning in to Conspiracy Theories. You can find all episodes of Conspiracy Theories and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. To learn more about Stetson Kennedy and the Ku Klux Klan, we found The Klan Unmasked by Stetson Kennedy and Superman vs. the Ku Klux Klan by Rick Bowers especially helpful to our research.
0: We'll be back next time with a new episode. Until then, remember, the truth isn't always the best story. And the official story isn't always the truth.
1: Conspiracy Theories is a Spotify original from Parcast. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler. Sound designed by Carrie Murphy with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Nick Johnson, Trent Williamson, and Carly Madden. This episode of Conspiracy Theories was written by Angela Jorgensen, edited by Connor Sampson and Mackenzie Moore, fact-checked by Bennett Logan, and produced by Bruce Kotovich. Conspiracy Theories stars Molly
0: Brandenburg and Carter Roy.